Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. What a perfectly timed, beautiful passage of Scripture for Kids Sunday. Amen. If the message of peace does not emanate from the church and from the people of God, we're not going to find anywhere else that's going to help us. If the church people... <laughs> Here, here's how we get to peace. You and I have to lose confidence in everything that's not Jesus. Uh, seems like we had an election this week. And seems like we continue to respond to it. And I want you to, to hear this. Creation has experienced this kind of fracture before. This is not new. This is not new. And the need for the people of God to actually be the people of God, that's not new either. But what we're going to hear today from Jesus, what we're going to hear today, again, goes something like this. Uh, you have to make sure that you've hitched, hitched your wagons properly. <laughs> because if you've hitched your wagons to something other than this Jesus character, you're part of the problem. Not part of the solution, part of the problem. And now it's meant to you, we don't need any more problems. Some people are taking it hard. Um, song by the, the group REM. Uh, Michael Stipe, the lead singer and the guy who wrote most of the songs, wrote this song. It's entitled The End of the World. <laughs> the End of the World as We Know It. Now, actually, it was released in 1987 long, long time ago, so nearly 30 years ago, but this song continues to kind of crop up every time something big happens, when there's a hurricane that wipes out a lot of people, somebody plays this song. When 9-11 happened, this song was out so much that there started to be some pushback. There were people who had said, can we stop playing that song? We don't, we don't want to imagine that this 9-11 thing has pushed us to this place where we can now sing, this is the end of the world as we know it, and they seem like they never get to the last line. I actually think it's a pretty good song for this particular place and time in the United States. Folks, I think things are changing rapidly. And maybe what we have is the end of the world as we know it, but Christians are the ones who should be able to sing that last line with full voice, amen? Now, just so you know, I have this deep suspicion that if the other side had won, there would still be demonstrations in the, seat, in the streets. If the other side had won, it wouldn't be Oregon and California threatening to secede, it would be Texas again. Threatening to secede. So don't let yourself, please, please avoid all the high horses that you can while you are trying to determine how to go about commenting on what you're seeing in the streets. 
Truth of the matter is, in this particular passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus is undertaking a, a very similar situation, if you think about it. But in order to have some idea of what it is that Maverick was talking about, as Maverick read verses 5 and 6, we're going to have to backtrack. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me all the way back to the first four verses of this same chapter. So Luke chapter 21, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And Jesus and his people are watching this incredible thing. They watched as they saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. We think this was probably a, a very public, perhaps even a very loud sort of undertaking. So people, in fact, there were some reports that the rich people got everything in, in coins, right? They got everything in coins so that when they put it all into this metal horn outside, everybody could hear how long it took for them to empty their coffers into these giant metal horns. And so everyone would stand around and say, wow, listen to how much he's giving. Listen to how loud that offering is. And so that happened, and people were watching as people were putting their gifts into the treasury, and then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And this may be the point at which you're ready for a sermon that goes something like this. How wonderful. Look, 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 look at this beautiful scene where this poor woman puts in two small copper coins, and God loves her. Well, okay, God does love her, but that's not where this sermon is supposed to go. Because look at this. He said, and I think he said it through gritted teeth. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she had to live on. Jesus was death on religion <laughs> when it did not represent the God who feeds. Amen. Okay? Jesus was death on religion when religion, instead of feeding people, started eating people. And so I think Jesus here is not ready to unleash a sermon on the, the wonderful faithfulness of this woman. I think what he's saying here is critical of the temple. The religion had gotten to the point. Religion had gotten to the point where it was eating this woman. It wasn't feeding her. This was all she had. And she was compelled. She was compelled. She had to do this. She had to. The rules were such that she had to put herself in harm's way and offer this tax. This was not an optional voluntary tax for her. She had to do this. And in Jesus' mind, this is a bad thing. The temple, the religious structure, rather than feeding people, was now eating people. And Jesus is angry. Jesus is so angry that Jesus says this. Now, all that money turns into a very nice temple. I mean, beautiful, awe-inspiring, perhaps as large as 37-acre monstrosity that was, for all intents and purposes, the center of their lives and not just their religious lives. It was the center of their society. It was prized peace. It, it was God to them. 
And recognizing that the God, that the temple originally was supposed to demonstrate and illustrate and embody, recognizing that that God intends to feed people and now seeing that this building that no longer represents the God that Jesus understands to be God, and recognizing now that this temple building is not about feeding people, it's about eating people, Jesus unleashes and says, as for these things that you see, you like this? The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. Wow. All will be thrown down. That is no small thing because that, is, that was a huge temple and that's a lot of stones. That's a lot of work to throw down all of those stones, not one stone on top of another. But you understand that Jesus was saying something more than just, wow, vandals are going to hit this place. <laughs> Jesus is saying, religion that eats, religion that doesn't feed, at some point will find themselves the adversary of God. And God will win. See, the temple was this vehicle, become this impressive, impressive vehicle. The means by which people were going to advance a religious agenda. A very expensive, very nice vehicle. But the means whereby we were going to say what we were going to say about God and advance this particular religious, this particular theology, theological agenda, this was going to be the means whereby we're going to advance this agenda. And Jesus was going to say something like this. Jesus did say something like this. This is no longer representative of God. And so God's going to wipe it out. Now here's the fascinating thing. Book of Luke, we believe, was written... Published, let's say, somewhere around 85, 85. Now, these words that Jesus is speaking, or he's speaking uh, long before that, obviously, long before the Romans came in and squashed a rebellion of Jewish folks, killed perhaps tens of thousands of people. But beyond that, but beyond that, they absolutely destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple. And it was such an incredible scene that the historian Josephus described it in terms similar to what we see in the next batch of scripture. Now, I'm going to leave the temple there. I'm just going to read this to you, but I'm going to start with verse 7. So the disciples are very uncomfortable with this, and they want to know, okay, when Jesus... You're seeing all this happening. When is this going to happen? Because it sounds really serious. When will this be? And what will be the sign that's about to take place? And he said to them, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. The time is near. Do not go after them. There will always be other people trying to posture themselves in Messiah-like sorts of ways. I'll fix it all. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. Be careful. Be careful, says Jesus. Be careful where you hitch your wagon. Be careful where you find your hope. Be careful where you find your motivation to move forward. Be careful what vehicle you choose to advance faith. Be careful. Don't go after them. 
Verse 9, when you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Jesus is saying all of these things ahead of time. Jesus can kind of see it all working this direction. Jesus can kind of see a time when Rome will have enough of this Jewish establishment. Jesus can see that all this is going to happen. And at some point, the temple, the temple, the sacred space, is going to be destroyed. Josephus, in reporting what happened, reporting it as a historian, actually describes the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in ways that sound a whole lot like that. Like a light in the sky that looks like a sword, earthquakes, all of this. Jesus seems to be saying, if and when the people of God, religious folks, hitch their wagon to anything that does not look like, smell like, sound like Jesus, God will be their adversary at that point. And God will wipe the structure and the competitors out. In other words, here's how Michael Stipe would say it. It's the end of the world as we know it. People could not envision or imagine a circumstance of faith absent the sturdiness of the temple. But when the vehicle meant to advance God is mistaken for God, we have a problem. And so, as Luke records... Jesus said these things, forecasting that these things would happen. These things happened. And now the, book, now the book of Luke stands to be a means of help and encouragement to all those who now are trying to piece together faith without a temple, without that vehicle that they thought was essential. The message for us in 2016 is this. What have we hitched our wagons to that may not be representative of the God we say we follow? Okay, well, I have a few ideas. Okay. Where have we anchored our faith? Where have we anchored our faith in ways that leave us saying something like this? Man, I don't know if I could be Christian without. I don't know if we could be Christian without. The building? The building? Hey, listen, I love our building. <laughs> I do. Even though it costs us a lot of money. I love what we've done back there. I, I'm, I, but I do have this deep conviction that if something, God forbid, were to happen and we were to lose every one of these stones, every one, even the ones back there, 
that are mostly new. If we were to lose all of these stones, you and I could still be the people of God. Okay, good, good, good. Do you know we haven't all had our own copies of Scripture for very long, really, in the whole scheme of things? What about 500 years or so that we've had our own copies of Scripture? I'll never forget. I'll never forget our former pastor. I can't tell you who he is. It's Steve Green. He's sitting right over there. <laughs> I will never forget Pastor Green holding up a Bible and saying, what is this? It's a Bible, right? That's the right answer. It's a Bible. Because the Word of God is Jesus. And the Bible only has power, transformational power, to the extent that it testifies that Christ is better than the Bible. So what would happen? What would happen? Are we the people who would say, whew, if we lost our Bibles, if somehow someone were to take away all our Bibles, we couldn't be Christian anymore. Guess what? It's been done before. <laughs> Folks, without their own copies of Scripture, have found ways to be Christian because even when you don't have your own copy of the Bible, Jesus is still Jesus. Okay, so if it's not the building... If it's not our books, then what is it? What is it that we have to have in order to be Christian, both individually and corporately? Well, I tell you, it's obviously, it's obviously your political party. Because if we don't have the Democratic Party, if we don't have the Republican Party, it's obvious. If we don't have our people in the right positions of, of power and influence, it's obvious that God is no longer God and Christ is no longer Christ if the Republicans don't win or if the Democrats don't win. And by the way, you can make a case that they both lost. Listen to me just for a second. And you cup your kids' ears if you need to, okay? <laughs> if you believe that God dictated the terms of the outcome, you're mistaken. If you believe that God somehow needed God needed our help, right? If God needed something to happen, you're mistaken. By the way, if things had been reversed, and today we're talking about the other candidate having won, and we're talking about different riots in the streets and other states that were threatening to secede. If we were talking about the exact opposite, I would be standing here saying to you, if for some reason you believe that your party having won is the means whereby God will move God's agenda forward, I would say to you, you've hitched your wagon to the wrong horse or elephant or donkey. <laughs> I'm not saying that God doesn't care. I'm not saying that God doesn't care. I don't know what God thinks about it. I think God needs for us to be the body of Christ. 
And Jesus was saying to them, and Jesus is saying to us, beware, beware that you never mistake the vehicles that you may want to put God in for God. Beware that you never mistake the agendas for God. Beware if you say to yourself that you need anything, I really think I mean this. <laughs> Beware, religious folks, if you think you need anything but Jesus resurrected. Because whatever else you think that you need to be the people of God, to be the person of God, whatever else it is that you think that you need, and already that thing, that entity, whatever that is, is an idol that you better be wary of. It's already competing for supremacy in your own mind and heart and imagination. Anything other than the resurrected Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. man, I hope so. And not just today. Because amen means, may it be. Let it be. Right? Isn't that what amen, amen means? It's kind of a, a verbal high five to the preacher. I'm with you in what you just said. And what I just said was, it didn't matter who won the election, we can still be the people of God. Amen? There was a hymn that existed before the Civil War. There was a hymn that existed before the Civil War, and very nice tune, catchy tune, but the language was so compelling that each side of the Civil War claimed it. It was a favorite of, uh, and it lasted, it lasts all the way to this day, and it's, it's still in your hymnal. It was a favorite of Theodore Roosevelt. It was a favorite of Andrew Jackson. Robert E. Lee insisted that it be sung at his funeral. The hymn seems to understand that while the world around us, and, and we can say this, while the country around us is an out-and-out -out convulsion, that there is something deeper and better and stronger that we're built on. How firm a foundation was a favorite of the North, sung at many funerals, the funerals of fallen Northern soldiers, but the fascinating thing is, is this, that it was also sung at the funerals of so many southern soldiers. You talk about a divided country who strangely would gather around this concept and this hymn to say, it is odd to be alive and to be Christian. It is odd because whereas so many around us will have hooked their wagons, and not just their religious wagons, but their wagons where they need to put all of their hope 
and their sense of, of future. Whereas so many around us have said, I'm going to put all of my eggs into this party's basket or all of my eggs into that party's basket. We are those odd people who say, okay, we have a different basket altogether. And our foundation, our foundation is this Jesus character. Now hear me, hear me. I am not saying I am not saying that there won't be times of darkness and despair. I'm not saying that. I am, I am not saying that um, we won't struggle. Don't ever let me or anyone else who would preach up here, don't let anyone say to you that the gospel means that there's always going to be happy endings at the end of every 30-minute segment. It's not the truth. In fact, maybe... The most powerful time to testify to our foundation is when there is fracture and pain and darkness and despair and civil war in 2016. Sing this with me. Why don't we even stand and sing? We're just going to sing a couple of verses before I gather us around this table. We just have the first verse and the last verse. But let's sing this like we think it's true. <laughs> let's sing. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to jesus has fled look at this verse so that on Jesus have leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes, that so have a seat. If you're helping us today, would you go ahead and come up here and help to set this table? We believe that the resurrection of Christ changes everything, and we believe that that resurrection is just the first word and that God will always have the last word, but whatever that last word is going to look like or feel like or sound like, we know that it will look and feel and sound like the resurrection. And we are far, far from having this resurrection fully announced or fully implemented. And so there will be bumps in the road between here and there, and we will need all the nourishment we can get to power us to be the people of God. Yes, on our best days, but maybe most especially on our worst days, 
when there are riots in the streets? Where are the people of God? And so eat and drink today in hope and in anticipation of what it is that God would do in and through you as God moves us all toward God's last word. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And by them, Lord, strengthen us to be your people. Strengthen us to be a people of peace, which we understand to be so much more than just the absence of conflict. Give us clarity of mind and imagination so that we can know, as we listen to the words of Jesus, whether or not we have, individually or corporately, connected ourselves to something other than Jesus, found hope in something other than Jesus. God, reveal to us the forward movement of resurrection. And God, protect us when other voices, when other images would distract or confuse or intoxicate in ways that would keep us from seeing and hearing you. God, use these elements now to give us creative minds, courage, backbone, resolve, and hope. Hope that you are still moving things toward fruition, toward completion, when finally, here, the resurrection would be fully implemented and announced. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. Come forward to receive a piece of broken bread. Have your hands cupped ready to receive this gift of grace. As you approach the person with bread, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. A little piece will be snapped off and placed in your hands. Then take that bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. We eat in memory and we drink in hope, in hope. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. And if you don't have a prayer list, man, I'm not sure you're paying attention. Find a place to pray. You can pray at one of these side padded altars where someone will meet you and pray a prayer for healing, any kind of healing, physical, mental, emotional, relational, any kind of prayer for healing that you need, we will meet you at one of these side padded altars. And any kind of prayer is welcome at these altars, these wooden altars up front. And someone will come and lay a hand on you and help you to know that you aren't alone. After everyone has been served, I'll lead us through a pastoral prayer which will include the prayers of our children today and then we will close with the Lord's Prayer. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, now broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup, hold it up before them, and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, something brand new that God is doing. And every time you drink, 
drink in hope, drink in anticipation, and remember me. If you can't come to us, Jason and good help is already on the way to you. Who can come to this table? Anyone who understands their need for grace, no matter who you are or where you are. Anyone who understands the need for grace will always be welcome around this table. If you'd like, there's a bowl of water here. If you'd like to remember your baptism, remember that you are amongst the chosen. This little bowl of water is here for you. Just come dip your fingers into this water and remind yourself (laughs) that you belong to the winning side. You belong to the winning side. And now all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God for the people of God.
James, Shay. I've been praying for the entire Shay family for a long time. And this is the last Sunday that James will be with us as he is going to move to Idaho. And so if you would like to join Jason and Katie back there to gather around James Shea and pray for James and for Carolyn as he, as he faces a very difficult season of life, I invite you to do that at this time. For the rest of us, I'm going to guide us through a prayer leaving plenty of room for you to pray so you won't just be praying my words. So Father, receive these words, receive these moments now from us. Church, Christians, pray for your enemies and your opposites who so clearly identify themselves on social media. Pray for them now. Pray God's peace, God's blessing in their lives, and feel free to use names. president. Len Caprero, Would you pray for Ron McNeil, Jeff Law is recovering from surgery this week. Would you pray for Dwight Neuenschwander, the father of Ed Neuenschwander? for James and Carolyn Shea. And you know someone that I don't know. 
or you know someone that I didn't mention who is sick or hurt or isolated, suffering, would you pray specifically as you can for him, for her, for them? children have submitted some prayers and these will be on your screen. I won't read those, but you can read them and pray. to be your church, to be your body, the tangible expression of your heartbeat, your vision. Help us to decide wisely as it has to do with our calendar, as it has to do with our resources, as it has to do with where we will put our energy. We just want to be where you want us to be. help us as a gathered up body of believers to be sensitive to your voice. Help us as individual believers to be sensitive to your voice and guide us in ways that will allow us to be used like tools in your hand, to be people of peace, bringing peace, making peace, which again, Lord, we understand to be so much more than the absence of conflict. In fact, Lord, would you just help us to be the people who can not only mouth the words of this prayer, but people who can actually live out the words of this prayer that your son taught the disciples. So church, we will close this time of prayer. Praying the Lord's Prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.